coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. Some news about Netflix with Disney and in Taiwan. Wolf Warrior 2 becomes the highest grossing film of all time in China. And our films this week, The Founding of an Army. And the Bollywood film, Jap Harry Met Sejiao. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and sometimes Bollywood and other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny, actually rainy South Florida at the moment and coming to us from his news desk in the PLA barracks on Gun Club Hill is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, sir? I'm all right. You know, I'm sleepy i'm very busy lately yes uh, we're translation we are recording yeah. very late on this particular episode uh um after a, a late screening for the movie club there the movie group there in hong kong so um we must give some praise to mr ma for do- doing his due diligence and staying up extra early particularly as i'm guessing he might have slept during the current film so maybe he got some rest right <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, we'll find out more well, about that next week, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. Plus, I'm actually working on, well, I'm always working on a few projects, but I can review a little bit. I'm doing the, a new Chinese film called The Liquidator. Uh, it's a serial killer film starring uh, Dun Chao and Ethan Ron that comes out um, late September in, uh, in China and also this week. Um, and this is actually very exciting because I'm working, I'm translating um, some, some publicity, publicity materials for the new John Woo film, so Manhunt. Oh, so nice. uh, yeah, so it's not it's not subtitle work, it's not script or anything. It's just some publicity stuff. But still, you know, now I can check off. I'm doing John Woo films now. You know, it's great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, over here on this end, equally busy as well. Basically, we we're about uh, 20 days off from the expansion of our little Fox family here in Florida, <laughs> and I've got a house full of uh, Hong Kong people here with me today and for the next couple months to help see things through. Yes, my in-laws are here. And so you may hear some random Cantonese shouting in the background or something, um, as is normal <laughs> for the household. So we'll try. Oh, I just ice screaming and Cantonese in the middle of a show too. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, all that is good and fine. And, uh, we're here, not here to talk about that stuff though. We are here to talk about movies, but before that, we're going to get into our news for this week. So let me throw the talking stick back over to Kevin with this week's news. <laughs> Here at the news desk, so of course, as we do it like every other show, right? Like we have to lead off with Netflix news, which makes sense. Uh, yeah, a couple of big, you know, big, big news week for Netflix this week. You know, David Letterman, you got the Coen brothers. Uh, but the ones that kind of affect us as media consumers, you know, uh, in general. Uh, first of all, uh, so Netflix or Disney uh, has decided to end its deal with Netflix. And 
it will be launching uh, their own streaming service. Um, currently, I think it, Disney in the U.S. has a uh, streaming deal with, the, with Netflix. I always call it the Netflix, you know, like it's a it's a it's a holy entity, like the church or yeah, the you've, prime. You've, you've got to have, have an angelic somewhere. theme behind it, like oh, the Netflix. No, it, <laughs> well, you have to be all the time, right? Um, but yeah, so so they they currently have a streaming. I forgot when the deal was actually signed. I think it was maybe they signed year it ago, back. Two years ago. They signed it back in two thousand and twelve, but it didn't go into effect until last year, I believe. And, right. Um, so yeah. So clearly, that did not last long. Um, yeah, be- that's because this is because Disney is actually planning to do their own streaming service uh, starting in twenty nineteen, I believe. Um, and you know, this is not really a well. First of all. Um, I, we don't have that deal in the U.S. So when I first saw that deal and then I realized it was only in North America, I actually just put it in the back of my head because we don't get Disney programming. Uh, I think outside of the U.S., this deal doesn't apply. It's only for North America. And I think the deal also includes the Marvel films. Yes, and, and the Star also, Wars yeah, films. Star Wars films. So, yeah, I, was, I, I accidentally locked on my netflix while i was on my vpn and yeah there was like like oh guardians of the galaxy and marvel films um but uh yeah so it looks like they're going to be streaming their own service uh their own movies on their own um which is no surprise i mean streaming is a big business um and of course it's good news for disney or disney stockholders and they have plenty of stuff in their catalog um so paul does this is this going to affect the Marvel and Star Wars films, and what does this mean about Netflix's uh, Marvel original TV series? Well, as I understand it, it's definitely going to affect the uh, films and the movies, but I think the deal holds up until and possibly through um, 2019, uh, at least for 2018. So I think they're getting... Netflix will get its hands on all but the final Star Wars movie in the current trilogy that's running um and of course you've got uh, a couple more years of marvel stuff that's going to be going on they'll get some of that i don't i'm not sure how it's going to affect the original netflix series the you know the defenders and daredevil and that stuff so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that going forward over time um i'm kind of of two minds of this it kind of feels like disney just dealt a low blow to netflix because when you understand the nature of the deal that really Netflix has only got about three years of content out of this because they start, they were able to start last year. And if they run through 2018 or 2019, that's not a whole lot of stuff because it was only stuff going forward from a certain point. Now I did notice they had some like old Disney. They do have some old Disney treasures, like really old Mickey mouse cartoons and, and some of that old, old stuff that Disney did as some compilation stuff, but really they've only had stuff, current stuff like Moana and Zootopia and the stuff that really kicked in from last year um, available for Netflix subscribers. So it's they didn't get a ton of content out of this deal, and now they're going to seemingly get even less going forward. So I got to wonder if Netflix is kind of, you know, uh, smarting from this a little bit, if Disney somehow legally outmaneuvered them and had been planning this um, the whole time. Now, fans of Disney that I follow and I listen to and converse with on occasion, and I, I'd include myself in that group. I mean, one of the big criticisms they've had against Disney is their vault system, right? So if you're familiar with the way that Disney does their video releases, they'll release a new thing like a Diamond Edition Snow White or something, and 
it'll be on the shelves for a couple years and then they'll throw it back into the vault and this includes the digital stuff you know so if you're buying stuff just digitally now um, they'll they'll pull that stuff and you won't be able to get it for a while unless you're looking to buy it in the secondhand market and there is no secondhand market for if you're building a digital library so you're just out of luck until the next time they decide to roll it out um, so I'm wondering if something like this is going to finally kind of get away from that sort of archaic system because I know many Disney fans really hate it and especially with stuff that's not been remastered or not been made available um, some of the some of the 90s films and things that have been rare and out of print for some time so having something like this if they're really going to you know go full bore with it and get rid of the old um, vault system I think that's a plus Disney has a ton of content because it's not just Disney movies. You've got the Disney Channel shows that they can put here. You've also got the Disney XD stuff, which includes things like Star Wars Rebels, which is very popular, um, and other content, you know, original content that they create and produce. Whether they're going to lay all this out there on this channel, that's the big question. Because as a Disney fan, you know, if I'm going to pay an additional Netflix fee you know, another $14 a month or $12 a month for a subscription streaming service, unless I'm getting access to everything, I'm going to really question the value of that. Um, especially when I tend, you know, I still tend to buy stuff, you know, I'll buy a, a lot of Pixar movies and Disney movies and I'll get the digital rights copy versions. And I, you know, I, sh I can share stuff across iTunes. And, you know, if I buy something on iTunes, it goes to my Disney movies anywhere account. And this is all stuff, too, that Disney doesn't give access to to people overseas. So when I was in Hong Kong, I had no access to any of this stuff. I still have friends in Hong Kong who, you know, anytime Disney makes an announcement like this, they're just like, yeah, what are you going to do for us? Um, because they don't have access. You can't get access to Disney Go or um, Disney movies anywhere if you're outside of basically North America. So I'm very interesting, interested to see how far they're willing to go with this or if this is just going to be kind of a a piecemeal thing and there's going to keep the vault system in place um and you know it's just going to be well you can stream some shows but you still got to subscribe to disney xd on cable because i don't think a lot of people are going to buy into that if they really go all out i think it can be a successful thing it'll be very attractive the thing is disney has been incredibly um conservative around this region of the world because i think streaming still hasn't quite caught up i think in china yes but only for local content maybe not so much for disney content where they you know i mean they have a disneyland in shanghai but the thing is disney ips don't quite have much of an impact in china and elsewhere streaming isn't really as big as they would like it to be as it is in america um I think we have a lot of different streaming giants here in Hong Kong, like HMV just launched their streaming service, and you have Netflix, and you have Prime Video now, but none of that has really made a huge dent. I mean, people still prefer to illegally download their programs. Um, so so Disney has been incredibly conservative. So to us, this news doesn't really affect us here in Asia, but... Um, as I read this Hollywood Reporter story that you put in the, the show notes, Paul, uh, the Morgan Stanley analyst um, looking at the, um, the, the, the the deal, actually, it's not really that nervous for Netflix either because, I mean, I think Netflix was prepared that, I mean, they, they've been working in this business for a good 10, 15 years now, and they know that they can't rely on other content creators to draw subscribers anymore because these deals are so fickle and they could fall any time. They lost, they lost 20, 20th Century Fox and AMC shows to Hulu 
and uh, Time Warner shows are all over and uh, mostly over on Amazon. They know that if they just rely on content providers, they're not going to get subscribers because they can lose them anytime. So they've been quite aggressive in making their original programming and using original programming to draw subscribers rather than than these content deals and which is a fairly smart move um to really establish themselves as an original a platform for original programming so and they still have um at least two years to uh because this deal doesn't really knock into effect until the second half of 2019 so they have two years to go and maybe find other if it's if it's kids programming they worry about then they have uh, two years to find other suppliers um, or or produce their own children's programming that that you know could eclipse Disney in terms of co- uh, quality uh, or in terms of uh, um, um, perhaps what's the word buzz or 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 um, uh, yeah I mean in terms of drawing viewers so. It's not really that big of a deal on my side of the world, but I can see why. Yes, you a Disney as a father and as a Disney fan for you, Paul, it it, it could be a big deal two years down the line. Yeah, and again, I just hope that uh, Disney is a bit more aggressive with it. It's also going to depend a lot on their platform uh, and how stable it is. My assumption is is that they'll put some money into it and have a a fairly solid platform. But I mean, between you know the innovations that both Netflix and I guess Amazon, the Amazon prime video have done uh, of late to allow things to be downloaded and viewed offline and and that kind of stuff. And the, the basic stability of their applications, I think that just makes it easy to use. Now, the one thing that they can improve on over Netflix for sure is their user interface because the Netflix user interface is just terrible. (laughs) Um, Trying to find stuff and trying to find your own feed and, and that stuff, um, especially if you've viewed a lot, and Amazon's as well, it's it can be horrendous at times. Um, but overall, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't worry. I'm not. I'm not I don't think uh, Netflix is, you know, shaking in their shoes by losing this. I just do think that they're probably maybe rethinking their strategy going forward with acquisitions and things because it does feel like they got burned a little bit on this deal. Um, but I think in terms of their own original content, their ability to buy up and revive series. Um, you know, through through deals and negotiations, I think they're going to be in fine shape even without um, without Disney going forward. The main thing that I've seen written about on some forums, though, is you know because people who consider themselves cord cutters, and I guess I fall into that category, people who've like done away with cable and traditional TV uh, altogether in favor of using a Roku or using uh, a Fire Stick or a Fire TV or uh, an Apple TV, and really just going through something like Netflix and other applications to stream content and news and things. Um, this kind of adds on to that pile because when you start thinking about, well, I'm subscribed to a Netflix subscription and now I got to have a Disney subscription and I've got a Crunchyroll subscription and uh, another subscription over here. If it's um, what was the thing that uh, you introduced me to last year, TV, Kevin? Um, Do it Direct TV. Direct TV. Yeah, Direct TV now. Yeah. So. You know, eventually all these subscriptions start piling up and you're basically back to another cable bill, right? So it's like in some cases, if you go all out, you're going to be spending more than a pretty good cable package. So it's kind of reversing the trend of the cable cutting uh, as they try and appeal more and more to that market. 
Yeah, I mean, as much as I encourage competition in a free market, and and I don't want to, I don't want one company, you know, handling all of TV. I I do get tired of all these extra camps showing up and diversifying everything because it makes everything more fragmented. It makes everything more scattered. So anyone who's trying to catch as much TV as they can, they they can't choose a side. They have to pick all these services, and then then what's the point? You know, I pay for Netflix Netflix because I want to have, you know, I expect a certain size of a library. But then, no, I got to go to Hulu to watch to watch uh, uh, Beat Shazam, Shazam, which said no one ever, right? Um, to watch 20th Century Fox uh, shows. And I have to go go to Amazon to watch HBO shows and get an HBO subscription for that. Then go to Netflix to go watch my, you know, the Netflix originals, blah, 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 blah. It, 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 it really gets tiring at some point and... It, it's going to lead us quicker to bursting that bubble because we know every every expanding economy, every expanding industry is essentially a bubble, right? It will pop eventually, and and when it pops, you better be on the right side, as in you better be in the company that actually lasts rather than a company that closed down. You don't want to be on the side of Love TV, right? You won't be on the side on Netflix. Um, and it's hard to tell because there's so many of these companies around. You don't know which one to stick to, and you can't subscribe them all. So. It's hard to be a real informed consumer who can watch all of these shows and really know what is the or, or you know to, to hard to be a TV fan who really wants to watch everything. Instead, you you forced to choose if you want to you know spend um, money logically with restraint and you know, like a normal human being. Then you have to choose a side. Oh, I only watch Netflix originals. I don't watch cable shows. I don't watch I don't watch Handmaid's Tale. I can't watch. Um, Man in the High Castle, but I can watch Daredevil. I can watch whatever, or I can only watch Man in the High Castle or Amazon series, but I don't watch the other two. It it it, it it's really hard to become an informed um, TV fan. Yeah. Uh, it's getting harder or and harder. The the other op- op possibility is that kind of like what I was doing initially with Netflix when I was in Hong Kong was you you just do it piecemeal. It's like okay, this month they've released a new season of. Uh, a show I want to watch, you know, Daredevil season three or Longmire or something. And so I just sign up for that month. I marathon everything and I'm done. I'm out. Right. And I unsubscribe. And then I go to the same thing over at Disney for a month when there's a series there I want to watch or when, you know, on Amazon Prime or something like that. Right. To where people are just kind of doing hit and run to grab the content they want to see. And when that's done, then they drop it. Um, And I'm not sure that's the model that the streaming companies are really going for, but if it keeps going forward in this direction, like you said, I think that that may be what consumers end up doing. I don't want the TV around, Paul. I like to stick with one <laughs> network at a time. You know, I'm a, I'm a very faithful, faithful TV you're, fan. You're not a stream surfer. Is that what you're saying? No, actually I do. I do have subscriptions to both Amazon prime and Netflix. And I got a ton of channels here on, I got H direct TV now, which includes HBO. And then I have now TV. I've, God, I, I am one of those people who spent way too much money on TV, so I shouldn't say anything. Okay. All right. And I think we'll come back and have some more on this story as it develops further. But speaking of Netflix, you have some additional Netflix news this week. Yes. After a, a long time of searching, I noticed for a fact, and I can't reveal more how I know. But anyway, um, Netflix have finally announced their first Chinese language uh, original series, and they're going to Taiwan. 
everyone thought that they might do China because they were trying to bring it in the Chinese market, or they might go to Hong Kong, but they have chosen Taiwan as their landing ground for the first Chinese language original series. The show is called Bardo. Uh, it's an episode eight episode series. It's a jailbreak thriller with a quote unquote a karmic dimension. Um, the film or the series, the eight episode series, is being uh, co-produced or produced by local production uh, company IFA Media, um, who recently produced uh, the show The Teenage Psychic, which was which was HBO Asia's first Chinese language series. So even HBO Asia went to Taiwan for their first Chinese language series, even though it did two um uh, original chinese films uh that was shot in china but uh taiwan was where they made their first chinese series and there's the same company doing it the series is written and directed by sam ke uh he, he is a right up and coming uh, writer director uh he made a short film called the free man in 2015 which i actually last year when i went to uh last summer when I went to Taiwan, they uh, they showed that film in the cinema and actually went to a screening of it, and it was quite a interesting short. Um, I also intended a short Q and A, so I know that uh, Sam Ke is a very um, is a very talented up and coming talent. Um, sorry, double talent in the same sentence, but he's a very he's a very interesting filmmaker to watch. Um, so it's an interesting choice. I mean, first of all, we we know that Taiwan it's um it's very cheap to produce content in Taiwan. You could probably produce this entire series with the budget of one episode of House of Cards. So it was always easy. As I wrote um in the Golden Rock blog of uh, maybe a year or two ago, that Netflix it's a it's a no brainer for Netflix to invest in Asia because you know, making a TV show here, making a TV series here is so much cheaper and you can make something that's really professional and, you know, great production values for a fraction of the price. And you could hire really, you know, really well-known talents here um, um, and and make something that's, that would rock the local television industry. Um, and so I'm glad that they decided to go to Taiwan because um, Taiwan is not a, it's not, it's not a huge financial risk. Um, even though it seems like at the moment we don't know the cast yet because it just got announced, so we don't know if um, if this is going to be have a big star or anything because it's still in preparation. But this could potentially be a game changer for Taiwan television um, and the way that Taiwan, and, and the way that these these shows are being made. Um, according to Ke, according to a statement by Ke, he said that this show took a year of preparation. Uh, and he is working with uh, lead writer Lily Chan, and the show will touch on current issues in modern society regarding real-life prisoners on death row, <clears throat> um, and it's uh, and it's being prepared for the shoot. Um, so no idea when the show actually will be on TV, but we do know it's shooting soon, so we could probably expect to see it maybe on air in about a year or so. Um, so yeah, what, what do you think, Paul? Are you looking forward to the show? Yeah, I'll be interested to see it. Now, does does Taiwan have a sort of their own exclusive uh, Netflix? What would you call it? A platform, or do they share like the the same platform with Hong Kong and other parts of Asia? No, every, every country, from what I could tell, I've been to like. <clears throat> different countries in Netflix. So I was looking at, even when I was in Bangkok, I think I was looking at Netflix for a little bit. Every country has their own, because Netflix goes to, what their strategy is, they go to the local distributors and they work out the deals there. So when I was in Taiwan, I noticed that there are a lot more Asian films 
in the Taiwan Netflix because they work out deals with the local distributors and they're able to put up Japanese films and Korean films and um, not much original. I mean, the same Netflix original generally and the big Hollywood films, but it's the regional content that makes each country's Netflix library a bit interesting because they do they they, they work out deals with local distributors instead of getting worldwide rights because they know they can't do it for especially for Asian films. So when you go to Taiwan, you see more. Um, uh, uh, Japanese and and and, and uh, Korean titles because they you know they worked it out with the local producers in Hong Kong they they struck a deal with um, Golden Scene which has a lot of art house films and also you know a few local films but and a lot of um, sort of independent English language films so you see a bit of stronger library with that here in Hong Kong you go to Bangkok it's uh it's really weak it's more like Holly, the usual Hollywood films and the usual Netflix originals of course when you go to Japan which is one of the biggest base in asia they have you know terrence house the, the original programming uh they also have uh probably a lot more japanese films i don't know I'll, I'll actually find out when i go to japan at the end of the month and i'll check out the netflix content there but i could imagine there'll be a lot more japanese films there um so yeah it's um so but taiwan there isn't a lot of chinese taiwan language uh, uh chinese language program on taiwan netflix yet um so this this would be a good way to draw subscribers again, depending on the cast, because it's really hard to convince Taiwan people to watch something original, I think, or to watch the homegrown content. So um, it'll be interesting to see who they cast in this series and what they would do to promote the series in Taiwan to try and draw subscribers. The one thing that kind of annoys me is you mentioned uh, that uh, HBO Asia, you know, that the same production company is doing this. They worked on, what was it called? Psychic? The Teenage Psychic. Teenage Psychic, yeah. I mean, here too, uh, you know, HBO Asia has some original productions that they put forth. I mean, we've talked about uh, Sarangan Road before. They've done uh, like a couple of ghost stories using some Asian actors for the Singapore market and, and things. And this stuff, the HBO doesn't promote it, right, beyond HBO Asia. And there's no HBO Asia channel that you can subscribe to with a sub separate subscription over here. So it's, again, this case of, you know, so many channels out there and, and some you get access to, you know, and in this case, you don't get access to the Netflix Disney stuff over there and we don't get access to the HBO Asia stuff over here and, you know, never the two shall meet. So I, I'm really hoping that as we go forward and say the next five years or so, that we can get further away from that kind of distribution mindset you know, nonsense of, of the old era. Well, okay, I don't want to bring up the argument, but <laughs> I can see why it exists. Again, it's it's a money machine, and there is, whenever there's a, you know, a, such an old system ex continues to exist, it's because there is benefit for the content holders. Right. That's why. And and actually, there is no HBO Asia. I think, I'm not sure if HBO Asia is run by the parent H HBO group in, uh, in America, but HBO, there's no... HBO Asia channel because HBO here in, 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 in Asia, all they really show is mainly Hollywood stuff. I mean, the American stuff. The So what we call HBO Asia is really just maybe you get Half Worlds, which is uh, shot in, I think, Indonesia. And now you got Teenage Psychic. And I'm not sure if you guys ever got the two, the, the original Chinese language films, like was it the Legend, the Legend of Bigger So? And I forgot what's the other one. But I don't know if you ever got those original films. I think eventually you will. But uh, those are pretty much those four content are pretty much only that. That's what HBO Asia is. Mm. Otherwise, the program you guys got newer films and you guys have it uncut, 
Whereas, you know, the only way we can see any shows uncut or any films uncut is we go on, if we go on um, the HBO Go um, uh, uh, streaming uh, service. And even, I, I, honestly, I don't even watch HBO. I, I subscribe to HBO Asia, but I never go on the Asia HBO Go because the interface is so crappy. And plus, I get HBO um, Go, the US one, on my DirecTV now that I get all the shows I want to watch on the US HBO Go Apple TV app, which is already much, much better than... Because the, the HBO Asia um, version of HBO Go doesn't even allow you to stream... Uh, what's the word? AirPlay. So you can't. You have to watch something on iPad. You yeah. can't even put it on your Apple TV. Really? It's, even it's even if amazingly even, even if you mirror the, the device, it won't let you. Yes, it won't let. You. It has a it has a big red letter on the bottom that no AirPlay. Wow. It is incredibly, exasperatingly, aggravatingly stupid, um, and I have no idea why. But that's why. I mean, you don't be jealous of us. Okay. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try to suppress my jealousy. Except I'm going to be very jealous when you you mentioned you're going to Japan to watch Netflix stuff, and you're going to see, see Terrace House, and I've got to wait. It's still they there. even have the first, the very very first season. So they have Boys and Girls, not the the season before Boys and Girls in the City. The version, the the season, the very first season of Terrace House, they have it on on Netflix in Japan. What was that Boys and Possibly. Girls Next Door or something? Yeah, Boys and Girls Next Door, which yeah. I I still think is the best the best season. Uh, because I watched about half of it, and I still think that was the best season of Terrence House. But anyway, we're going way, we're digressing way too much here. <laughs> we're getting into the deep end of streaming geekiness, and we apologize. Um, all right, let's move on to our final bit of news about an actual film this time, moving away from Netflix. And uh, this is uh, Wu Jing's Wolf Warrior 2, which has been basically kicking butt and taking names. Yes, last week I was talking about how Wolf Warrior 2 was breaking first week box office records, and they... It, you know, it was it was like the Wu the nationalist machine that can't be stopped, right? Um, the second weekend, um, the film actually made even more money as if it didn't make enough money the first weekend. It actually broke the the single day record that is set the previous week in the second weekend, which is unheard of anywhere. Um, to set an all time single day <clears throat> uh, single day revenue record in the second weekend is is confounding to me it's amazing um and and the film has managed to now break mermaid's record to become the highest grossing film of all time in china in just 13 days um the word of mouth of this film in china is amazing uh but um partly part of because well first it sounds like a quality action film but i think the nationalist element is really really uh, striking a chord with people um and yeah, I, I really can't explain it. Now the film possibly may have distribution in Hong Kong. It's it's already out in Malaysia, I think, and it's out in Singapore. Um, of course, it would never make its way to Taiwan because you know they're so they're really quite sensitive about this kind of stuff. And honestly, even if it comes out in Hong Kong, I don't think it would do well. I mean, people would see it as a curiosity, but generally, um, people do shy away from these you know really obvious uh, acts of you know nationalism. <clears throat> um, so I doubt it would do well, but it, it's just really amazing news. But of course, uh, uh, there's always um, sort of 
effect negative effect when you know when you make a ton of money um so as you know um Shichuan had the jokai jokai ko area uh suffered a major earthquake a few days ago and uh of course celebrities are coming out and donating money and wujing apparently um who is whose company is the producer of wolf warrior 2 which means he's is like swimming in cash right now like literally hundreds of millions and maybe billions of renminbi um and he donated. Uh, he quietly donated one million to the uh, disaster relief effort. But uh, some netizens are saying that, you know, you should be donating a hundred, two hundred million since you're making so much money, and you know, you make money off this really, you know, off of you know showing your love for China and making you know, exploiting nationalism or exploiting patriotism as a as a money making tool. So hey, you should give some of that money back to your country. Um, so you know, it's interesting bit of rebellion by by netizens but yeah um world warrior 2 who knew wu jing will be make the the star of the bad guy in city under siege will become china's biggest <laughs> box up yeah. yeah uh have you guys been out to see this yet it's not playing hong kong oh it's not it's not playing in hong kong that's why i said it still hasn't gotten distribution in hong kong but oh. even if it does i don't think it would do well okay i well. don't think it would do well it, this may be on the agenda for next week because it is it is playing down south and uh, it looks like it'll still be playing on the coming weekend. So I may be able to make it down to watch it and uh, maybe we'll talk about that if uh, if I am so motivated to get out and uh, feel nationalistic about China. I don't know. <laughs> Usually I would I would show my jealousy about this kind of stuff, but honestly, like I you know. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> You took the hit for founding of an army, so maybe I'll take the hit for this one. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Transformers, yeah. now, <laughs> founding of an army. The streak continues. I mean, next week it might I, be the, hey, the Naga, the Naga Pearl, whatever, Naga Pearl, I, I did me, I did me out too, so <laughs> you weren't alone on that one. Yeah, but you liked it, so what can I say? <laughs> All you right. liked it. I, I kind of did, yeah. <laughs> And I'm not apologetic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's going to wrap it up for our news segment this week. We'll be back after this short musical interlude, and Kevin's going to tell us about that very film, The Founding of an Army. And welcome back. So our film this week, the very historic, somewhat, I guess, historic, and uh, very patriotic founding of an army. Yes, um, the founding of an army. Uh, it is the 90th anniversary film for the People's Liberation Army. They were formed on August 1st, uh, 1927. Um, but this actually, this whole film is actually about, about the events before that date. Um, so 
the film is directed by Andrew Lau, which who actually got a lot of flack because he's a Hong Konger and he he was recruited and he went up and do a propaganda film, which uh, for the Communist Party, which a lot of Hong Kongers, you know, of course, aren't happy about. But he made the film, and this is what happened. Um, the cast is pretty big, but it's a lot of young Chinese actors. So you have Hong Gang and you have Oh Ho, and you have um, uh, mainly. Unlike the first two films, you know, beginning of Great Revival and the founding of uh, Republic, which had a lot of recognizable stars from both China and 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 Hong Kong and maybe Taiwan, I forget. But um, here you you see a lot is strictly uh, mainland Chinese young stars, so I can't. It's hard for me to identify a lot of them, and and uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, but anyway, and also the story synopsis, the synopsis I'm, up to, I'm about to read to you was actually translated by me for a film market that the company um, that the company you know used to sell the film. So I can't I can tell you that this story, the synopsis from the company is not exactly accurate. But for me to really write my own synopsis, ha- really have to understand the history and all the characters, and I decided not to go for that. So here we go. Um, in July 1927, Zhou Enlai organized the Nanching Uprising, which fired the first shot in the early morning of August 1st. This marks the beginning of a new army and the start of a long path to the formation of a mighty military force. For the next two decades, this formidable force will fight fierce battles that ultimately laid the foundation for a new republic. This is an army that China has never seen before. This is the People's Liberation Army. Yep. Except that whole second paragraph. Does not happen in the film. So, um, it's so most of the film actually the, the even the Nanjing uprising doesn't really happen in the film until an hour in. The whole film is really about it's literally about the formation how how this these band of people broke away from the the the, the Kuomintang and they rebelled and they up uh, they they led an uprising against the KMT army and it's about some of the major battles before the actual formation. So this is if Founded of a Republic is Return of Jedi and beginning of Great Revival. There is no Empire Strikes Back in the communist history, right? So you can't have Empire Strikes Back, I guess. Um, this is essentially the Force of Way. I, no, this uh, what is it? The Phantom, Phantom Menace. Menace. I guess. <laughs> so, I guess, so, so it's like they skipped around the entire Star Wars franchise. So if uh, Founded of a Republic is the Return of, Return of Jedi, and and beginning of the great revival is a new hope this is the phantom menace mm. and just skip all the dark crap and just go straight to all the rousing rah-rah celebration um so this is uh so this kind of is the very beginning of this i guess this whole communist party um journey so it doesn't really have an ending so because you, you know that the next the, the ending is the beginning of the beginning of the great revival um but anyway, here we go. Um, it's very difficult to remove the politics of this film because this is a political propaganda film. Obviously, it's funded by the, the, the government and the People's Liberation Army, meant to celebrate the achievements of the People's Liberation Army with with their their version of history. So it's as as much as I always as I say, you know, let's remove the politics of this film and just talk it talk about it as a film. Let's face it, and let's be honest. It's time to be honest and say you can't remove the politics out of this because it is its very nature a political film. Um, and like the other two films, it really gets bogged down 
by talky political discourse. It's essentially, it, it, you know, it could be a spectacular war story. Yeah? It's about strategy and how the CCP or the PLA or the, the, the growing force that becomes the PLA um, <clears throat> really laid the path by really great, you know, really brilliant tactical strategy and, and you know, uh, a real formidable force and through, you know, real um, uh, great war planning, whatever, battle planning to become this mighty, you know, military force. But no, it gets really bogged down by a lot of talk and um, it turns how... Uh, it, 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 it's essentially about how these great historical figures saved China from the oppression of the KMT. Um, so, it, you know, it treats everything with a lot of reverence and it treats whether key, character, key, key characters leave one party for another political party as major key points, key, key plot points, as much as, you know, scenes where, you know, stuff gets blown up and people die. So um, it's that type of film. So um, it's really only mildly history, uh, interesting for contemporary Chinese history buffs that know these characters well and, and you know, will find all this stuff interesting. But the thing is, there is no spoiler alert for them because if you're a history buff, you know all of this, so there's no history, no surprise. And you're not a history buff, um, then there are just way too many characters and you wonder how important are these people going to be? Like, you know... These could be like you could be laying the path for like potentially interesting or important characters later in history, and this sort of like a a interesting um, introduction. But if you're not a history buff, you wouldn't know why these people are against each other. Why is Du Yuesheng, the Shanghai gangster, uh, who's played by Zhang Hanyu, why see in the film? Who knows? I mean, yeah, okay, we know that. I mean, those who know the history, and if you've seen the Last Tycoon, the Chow Fat character is actually mainly based on that Du Yuesheng character. So he's he's this really legendary gangster character. You know, so for people who know who he is, yeah, of course you see a significance of him in the story. But if you're just watching this blind and you're like, okay, why is this gangster guy here? And why is he good at peeling apple? That's actually his... So that's how you recognize him because he's, he's known for being able to peel an entire apple in one stroke with a knife. So they do these little little touches that make you recognize these characters, but you really kind of have to know, be in the know um to 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 understand the significance and why they're in the film um and let's face it those of us those of us who aren't looking for a history lesson just came to see things blowed up real good right because it's andrew lao and andrew lao is the michael bay of hong kong cinema let's face it he <laughs> is all flash no substance a great executor great technician but a terrible storyteller but andrew lao with carte blanche delivers plenty of be blown up real good. You probably want to bleep that, Paul, by the way. Um, <laughs> why use CGI when Chinese government will pay for blowing up a small part of China? Literally, because I mean, I think Andrew I was mainly using real explosion, which means by the end of the film, he has blown up probably the size of Hong Kong Island <laughs> by the end of the by the end of the shoot. Um, the two major battles, there are two major battle sequences. I mean, I thought I was going to be bombarded by endless war scenes. I mean, I thought the POA was going to pay for something like that. You know, they want to highlight the heroics of the, the, the army and its major figures. But no, they're, in a 135-minute film, there are only two real major battle sequences. And one, that's the Nanqing, the Nanqing uprising. And there's a river battle at the end that um, there's slight strategic 
importance in it in that it sort of helped stalled the KMT um, army um, while the uh, while the, the 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 PLA or what becomes a PLA gets split into two forces. Then they were gonna they're gonna rejoin in another place, and this big battle was to help to stall the KMT so that they could make the escape. So there is significance, but it, it it's but anyway, those two battles are very very well done. Honestly, as big screen mayhem, as war films, they are pretty good. They're pretty well made. You know, like I said, big production values, stuff blowed up. Um, it's not like it's not. It doesn't reinvent things. You know, like it's not like Saving Private Ryan or you know Thin Red Line. It's not like art, but um, it's a it's very very big scale and something you have to watch on a big screen. Um, and it's very bloody. It's a very very violent film. So, you know, watching Dunkirk and, you know, having no blood in those scenes, the war scenes, and then coming here and watch, you know, people get sliced in the neck and sh- and sh- headshots and, you know, it, it I mean, the, the ground after a battle, it's just as red as the, as the, as the PR, PRC flag. That's how red it is. <laughs> it's a very violent film. Um, but those two battles are done, well done as war scenes, as war films. Um However, the film really relies on recognizing the actors to make us feel for the characters because there are so many of them. Um, but honestly, I didn't feel anything for these people because the film works so hard to make to make us to let us revere these people. I mean, these are these are heroes according to communist history, so you can't really say anything negative about them. There can't be any human flaws. Yeah, they may they may make mistakes in their strategies. They may be forced to sacrifice their men, but it's all, you know, but they also emphasize that it's all for the good of the whole battle. So that makes them heroes. Um, and there are really unintentionally funny bits of propaganda moments that, you know, was not the ideas of the writers or the director, you know, that is uh, someone up, up high said, we got to make them do this. You got to make them do this. Why? Because I say so. You can't really show these people in a bad light. So you got to do this. You got to do this. It, even though it makes no sense. For example, there's a scene during the Nanjing uprising where the um, the communist soldiers goes and raid a bank. Um, so they go to the back and they raid it and they take all the gold and the money out. And instead of just taking the money, someone says, leave a receipt. Literally, at one point, one of the soldiers literally writes a receipt and say, we'll pay you back afterwards. We know they never paid it back. We know they never left the receipt. Come on, when the communist soldier raised stuff, history tells us they never paid anything back. Otherwise, I'd still be rich and living in a mansion. I'm serious. My mom's family was actually a rich, rich, comes from a rich family. Their money was seized by the communists and they never saw a cent back. So it was just really weird little propaganda moments that, that really takes you out of the film if you know true history. Um, so for those who don't buy the communist version of history, it's really a tone-deaf piece of propaganda. But to be fair, aren't most English language films about World War II the same thing? I mean, I think Paul mentioned this before, really, you know, history belongs to the side of the victors. And this film happens to be made by a regime that we don't agree with on an ideological level. So it's not that different from the Western propaganda that we see about World War II, but it just happens that we agree with it or we like it or we can, we're can fine with it because, you know, it's about the winning side, the Nazis were evil, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Um, but, you know, for the, for the communist, in the communist version of history, the Kuomintang was evil and this whole war, the, the civil war, was to liberate the country. 
Um, so for them, this is their version of the Nazis, um, of Chinese soldiers fighting the Nazis or the enemies, whatever the enemies, and and leading to the betterment of the country. So yeah, we on this we can we can condemn it as you know uh, nationalistic or communist friendly, or we can we can dismiss this propaganda. But you know, for them, it's just like us watching Inglorious Bastards, honestly. So. Um, so I guess this movie is pretty review-proof unless you're Swiss, I guess. I mean, you're either going to hate it just because you're biased against the communists or you're going to love it because, you know, you're, uh, you're a Chinese citizen and you're a patriot. Um, unless you're on the neutral side, which there aren't many these days. Let's face it, in this day and age, being neutral is not really a choice, right? Um, so it doesn't really warrant a recommendation and it's really not a film that depends on critics' word of mouth anyway. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not, or whether your next door neighbor likes it, or whether Roger E you know, or any other critic like it. You know, it depends on your political leanings. If your feelings against the, the CCP or the POA aren't that strong, then it's a fascinating piece of propaganda, just like Triumph of the Will, maybe, for you. Uh, but you know, I don't I choose not to watch Triumph of the Will because it's about Nazis. It's made by the Nazis. But if you're like, oh, my feelings against the Nazis aren't that strong, you know, Triumph of the Will is a fascinating piece of filmmaking, and there are a lot of, you know, worthy piece of uh, filmmaking techniques in there, then yeah, maybe you like find, you know, Founding of an Army. Uh, I'm not saying if you like Founding of an Army that you like Nazis, right? I'm not trying to equate that, but, but you know, I'm just saying, if you're not a very political person, and you don't really care about politics, <coughs> then sure. Sorry, there's plenty of um, technique and filmmaking stuff that you can dissect with about founding of army. But at the end of the day, I'm sorry, I I have my political leanings and and it's hard for me to judge the film on a filmmaking level because knowing the nature of uh, why it's made. Um, still, it's it, again, it's not a, it's an interesting. It could be a fascinating piece of film. And again, Andrew Lau, he delivers on what he was hired to do, which is to blow up. A small part of China, um, so it's it's pretty easy to see why this flopped in China, um, because you know people get these stories. I mean, there are literally tons and tons of military-themed television series made, you know, aired and made in China every day. So why pay, you know, why pay a ticket? Why pay for a ticket and waste 130 minutes of your life to go sit in a cinema and watch essentially a bigger budget of what we see on TV every day already? So it's easy to see why uh, um, why this film flopped in China, um, but yeah, founding of an army. You this wasn't much of a, this is kind of a non-review, and you know this is all I can really say about it. All right, you did mention I think last week um, that some actors return to uh, refill roles they played in the other movies. Yes, Lo Ye, who played uh, Mao Zedong, I think, in the beginning of Great Revival. This is a prequel, so he obviously plays Mao Zedong again here. There's Mao Zedong before he stepped into power, so he's like this provincial politician, member of the Communist Party, mid-level, and and his role is that he joins up with Zhou Enlai, and they lead this really successful military campaign, so it's about their bromance. Bits of it is about their bromance. Um but yeah, that's the only actor I remember that shows up in the other films. Do you think, I mean, all right, imagine we're sitting down to do a three-movie marathon, marathon, you know, in order, right, uh, with this movie Better first. No, I, you know, I won't do it. But. <laughs> that's what I said, imagine. I mean, do the, do the films at least feel they've got different directors? 
Um, obviously, this one is is the, the most current one, so it's going to look maybe possibly the newest. But do they feel like they're part of the same continuum, even though they've got no. different directors and maybe different tonal styles? Well, no, because, well, I mean, the films themselves, I mean, Beginning of the Great Revival and The Founding Republic is known to be made by multiple different directors. I mean, even though those two films have credited Wan Jian Shin, I think, as a director, or Han Sanping, they actually had, so for example, Beginning of Republic, or Founding of Republic, had, I think, Chiang Kai-ge, Peter Chan, reportedly Peter Chan, and quite a few directors. So each of them directed bits and pieces of it. So even, and, and of course, Beginning of Great Revival, um, it's like a mishmash of different genres. So, no, I don't think you see sort of one, and this, so The Founding of Army is the film with the most singular directorial voice. Um, it's Andrew Lau all the way, and it is Andrew Lau's uh, brand of storytelling, like it or not. It's that flash, no substance type of storytelling all the way. Um, so no, it's it's totally different all the way through. Um, if you look at all three films together, um, even with, like I said, even within the same film, it's totally off. So no, I, I first of all, I wouldn't sit through all three films together. There is so much talking, so many characters, and so much history. It's impossible to, to come out of it and actually understand getting a gaining an actual real understanding of how you know the, the the history of the communist party and two um depends on which which version of history you buy if you buy the non-communist party version of history you just spend the entire movie going this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong this is propaganda this is blah 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 blah, blah. so you just blow you just you know blow a blood blood vessel just trying to think about all of this <laughs> so um no i don't recommend sitting through all three of these films just like i wouldn't sit i wouldn't recommend anyone sit through more than one transformers film at a time <laughs> And welcome back. So our review this week gets back over to Bollywood with Jabhari Metsajal. This is coming from director Imtaiz Ali, who he's got a handful of films in his filmography. I don't think I've seen any of them. This is the first film of his I've seen. But I've seen plenty of Shah Rukh Khan films, so I was excited to get out and see this and excited even more so that it was actually playing at a theater pretty close nearby. And as I've been scanning local theaters looking for uh, Chinese movies, I've noted that uh, there's quite a few current release uh, Bollywood films that get shown even closer to my area, you know, so I don't have to drive all the way down to Miami. So I guess we have a pretty significant immigrant community in the area that warrants uh, the showing of a lot of these films. So that makes me happy because I've now got something to go out and watch other than, you know, the, the standard uh, Hollywood blockbuster stuff. So uh, this is, again, Shah Rukh Khan and Anushka Sharma. This is their third pairing, uh, as it were. And the story is thus. Harry, played by Shah Rukh Khan, is a womanizing tour guide whose exploits are so notorious that he is unable to keep a job in one location for very long. When Sajal, a member of his tour group, loses her engagement ring, she commissions him to retrace her steps along the tour to help her find it. 
Along the way, romance, hijinks, and several musical numbers ensue. So this is the third pairing of uh, the two of them as a couple, and they do have pretty good chemistry together, I think you can say, and uh, so it's nice to see them brought back together for uh, a third time. Um, and But overall, I mean, because their first pairing was in a movie called uh, Rob Nibana di Jodi, which is translated as A Match Made by God, and then that was in 2008. And their second film was Jab Takai Jan, uh, as long as I live in 2012. So they've, you know, got a little bit of history of working together. And I guess, you know, the audience liked seeing them on screen together. So they've been you know, brought back for this film. Have you seen those two films, Kevin? I've seen Jap Kajan. I have a Blu-ray of Jap Kajan actually. Um, and Anushka Sharma is, uh, I, I quite like Anushka Sharma. She's worked with all three big cons in Bollywood, by the way. Mm. So she's worked with Salman on Sotan. Uh, and Amir on PK, and of course SRK twice. Mm. So here, here we have um, they're they're coming together in this film, and I have to say I was a little bit put off by their characters at first. Here, uh, I found Shahrukh Khan's Harry to not be very likable, and and that's by design. I also found Sajal um, kind of annoying in that her main drive, her main motivation, seems to be that she wants to break what he calls the sister type image uh, that, you know, he labels her with. That's like, you know, the sister type is the good girl who's, you know, goes on and, and gets married and, and, you know, performs her matronly duties, I guess. And that really annoys her. And so she spends a lot of the film trying to become a non-sister type, a, a sexy kind of girl who dances and who flirts. And, and I think she's, trying the characters just trying way too hard and i just wasn't all that interesting for me um because uh, it really felt like you know who's gonna who's really gonna push it that far but again this is bollywood so a lot of times we suspend our disbelief with uh some of the things that happen in these films the story here i'd say between the other two films they've done is more much more global than um rob naban de jody and it's less convoluted than Jab Takai Jan. So it some, falls somewhere in between. Um, <clears throat> it is a standard sort of Bollywood musical, but I didn't think so at first because it's pretty. you're pretty much into it for about an hour before the first kind of true musical number drops. Um, but then it kind of goes along on a very sort of traditional path. For me, it really lacked the charm of Rob Nibana de Jodi, which I think for me is their best pairing. Um, I love both of their characters in that. I like the humor in that a lot more. And even though it's not a big sort of globe-trotting film like their next two films, um, I, I just, it was, it's a much more fun film. It's one that I can return to um, much more often than I think the second film or, or this film. This film is fine. Uh, it doesn't have a fantastical plot twist like Jab Takai John does, um, you know, which is kind of, they, they kind of, I don't want to spoil anything, but they kind of throw a double plot twist in, in that film that's just like what again um but here it's pretty much a straight up boy meets girl tale as these two characters travel together and they start to develop feelings for each other and then you know there are certain things uh getting in the way it's got some very tr standard tropes there's a quirky but likable best friend which you'll find in both the previous films and you'll find in a lot of other bollywood films there's a whole sort of will they won't they vibe throughout you know so this is you know, conservative 
for the most part, even though you do have this character of Harry who's portrayed as a womanizer, I mean, he does very little other than, like, you know, dance and flirt with a couple girls. They don't really, you know, they're not, they're, you're not shown any of this womanizing behavior really directly. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's got sort of that very conservative vibe to it. And if that's something you like, if you're really more interested in the story, um, I think this is a fine film to watch. Um, the whole thing about the ring, trying to find the ring, when they initially started, I'd, I, I had a feeling in my mind, I'm like, I think the ring is probably going to, this is going to, what's going to be, where the ring is going to be. And it turned out that was exactly right. So that might be something that if you're familiar with a lot of rom-com plots, you'll be able to piece together pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but the, here's the thing, I, even though this is a little bit by the numbers, I would say, Hollywood doesn't do this kind of thing very often. Um, they don't make big globe-hopping production numbers like this, and certainly not musicals. So it's nice to see something like this, a standard rom-com that's got some money put into it, that's got a lot of extras, a lot of dancers, a lot of locations, because this thing is all over the place, um, across Europe, on location, um, filmed in, in you know pretty good time, because I think they started filming about a year ago. Um, so it's, you know, multiple locations, Amsterdam, I think Prague, Brussels and others as they travel around looking for the ring. So some great cinematic shots throughout, um, very high production value. And, you know, when you compare that with the kind of rom-com stuff today that you get, you're really either getting, um, you know, smaller indie films, which can be fine, or you're getting something like, uh, hangover style stuff where they're really going for more of the adult gag than anything else, you know. And they're just trying to out-raunch whatever the last thing was, you know. So I'm looking at you, Rough Knight, you and your ladies out there being raunchy. Um, that, you know, and a lot of people dig into that kind of stuff here now, but I'm, you know, I kind of prefer the, these older, you know, more not really conservative necessarily, but just, you know, things that have money put at them but aren't really looking to generate... Um, adult humor quite so much. They're really just more about a, a sort of traditional story. Um, the one thing that I do find interesting, and I don't know if you've noticed this at all, Kevin, is the nature of subtitles in these films. Because I've noticed this across a variety of films. In the English, because they'll switch between, you know, Hindi or whatever dialect they're in, and English quite often. And a lot of times they'll call somebody a B-word, and they'll translate it in the subtitles as which, Right. And mm. in another film, um, she was very, uh, I think in um, uh, Job Talk Hai John, she was basically, some, some character was basically saying, oh, you know, that SRK guy, what an a-hole. But the subtitle said, idiot. And I'm like, so it's weird because it's okay for the actor to be actually saying the word on screen, but something, you know, the direct translation to English, they can't write it in the subtitle or something. It's it's kind of strange, but... um. Maybe you have better insight into that as a, as a subtitler yourself. Um, but I would say if you wanted to do a mini run of the SRK Anushka films, I'd say start with um, Rob Nibana to Jody because I think that's still for me their best pairing. They have the most chemistry. Uh, it's a it's a really cute story. It's a fun story. Um, and then this, and then go to Jab Takai John because that one is 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 big and and globe trotting too and it's got a big budget and it's got great musical numbers but it's got this story that's just 
so kind of like what <laughs> what <laughs> that you might want to go to that one last that's just my pick also we'll hear what kevin has to say about you know uh what he thinks about that but yeah this is a this is a good fun local film great for matinee if you've got you know two and a half hours to spend um well worth your time and investment especially you know if you are somebody who's not overly familiar with if you watch a lot of bollywood stuff i would say that you might find this a little bit by the numbers and not all that exciting easily forgettable but if you're not you know if you've only occasionally delved into it i think this is a fine film to go take in for an afternoon um kevin your thoughts um honestly i i didn't think that this film should have any musical numbers um the way that it was shot the way that you know the characters were acting it was it was shot in a very naturalistic way and suddenly having that musical sequence pop up really sort of killed it for me i thought yeah. it really sort of dragged it, the it plot really down. felt very um, late like, that's what you know because it's like oh it's suddenly when it kicks in at that late point i'm like Okay, wow, that's you know. So this is a musical. I wasn't expecting it by that point. Well, I I, I, I think SRK would always make musicals, but the thing is, I thought SRK was pivoting to this new stage of you know where he's making serious films. That he's not going to do his musical numbers anymore. And I thought so. I know. I think Fan didn't have a musical numbers. Ray's didn't have a musical number. Dear Zindagi, um, he definitely didn't do a musical number in that film. So I thought he was pivoting towards this more serious stage of his career where he's like, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I still do Happy New Year. I still do Diwale where I have big musical numbers. But, you know, when I do more serious movies, you know, more character based movies, I'm not going to or not when I don't do these uh, masala movies, I'm going to, you know, stay away from musical sequence. So when this popped up, it really took me out of the film, actually. And the later one, the really big musical sequence um, just after the intermission, um, I, again, didn't think it was all that great. Uh, the music is fine, though, in the rest of the film. Um, and this one of those cases where I like the star more than the, the actual story. This pretty standard, by-the-numbers, uh, Bollywood style. Just like how China had this whole period where they shoot all their films, all their, all their big commercial films overseas. India also has this big obsession obsession with shooting their films overseas and i've seen quite a few already so this is pretty by the numbers and sort of checking off lists and of of attractive locations and and you know beautiful people and things like that and the story is not really all that special and although i did like that it doesn't go into the big melodrama stuff like when it threatens to go into serious big melodrama dramedy Vi moments of violence it really pulls back in the rom-com territory and i enjoyed that but I thought the film, the story itself, was kind of weak. I like the character dynamic that, you know, is a bit more complex than typical Bollywood film where, you know, these people are actually, you know, they use the personality to 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 build up their their odd couple relationship to build up conflict uh as a script as a you know aspiring scriptwriter, it's an interesting bit of bit of um uh, character building but the plot itself is really not that interesting um because i keep wondering okay is there uh some kind of twist regarding that ring they're looking for a ring right is there a twist is it it does this fiance doesn't exist or blah 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 i was looking for a twist and when it came I was like, eh, that's it? I'm like, okay, oh well. Um, so I like the stars much more than the actual film. I thought, you know, SRK it was cool. I don't I don't mind playing seeing womanizing SRK. I wish I saw more evidence of it rather than um, just him telling you or seeing a woman throw stuff at him as evidence of it. I wish I actually saw him doing it to make it more believable because otherwise I don't really even believe that SRK is really that charming in English. Um 
And Anushka, I, I, I like Anushka more because you see actually you see more of her than the SRK character. Uh, a lot of stuff you see about SRK you see from Anushka's point of view, so or Sejao's point of view. So um, I didn't really buy the character uh, Harry of Harry, um, but I did buy um, uh, Sejao's sort of conflict and what she's really trying to accomplish. Um, and I like her character a bit more. Otherwise, the film is fine. I mean, I enjoyed it while I was watching it, and I didn't really have a big problem with it, but it's not going to be very memorable, and um, there are, of course, a lot of flaws, and um, and again, the musical sequences were kind of disappointing. I mean, you watch Chapter Kaijan, that is like the, you know, that is very much a, a traditional masala, big, large-scale romance, right? It is so big that it has time for two romances, <laughs> and and a and an amnesia plotline, double, and a hurt double. locker, <laughs> double plot. and a hurt locker. Um, I mean, hurt locker for Christ's sake, and and Discovery <laughs> Channel. I mean, it's all and in Discovery, there, and and hurt and you know, <laughs> and and about no, and plus the end of affair esque, um, uh, a faith faith uh, faith crisis, you know, a faith crisis, right, a religious crisis. I mean. At, at, packs so much in there that is the typical um srk romance that 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 bollywood audiences love plus that would plus i was in a real katrina kayev you know phase at a time plus i watched that film on a date so <laughs> jump the kaijan has bigger significance for me um i know imagine taking someone on a date to see jump the kaijan would never see indian film wow to go that's, see jump the kaijan well, that's a good day film because that thing's like packed at three hours so you get to spend yeah. more time together. <laughs> yeah, except my date got sick in the middle and she couldn't oh. watch the film. Um, but you know, it was it was a real like if you're watching Bollywood film for the first time, you're diving in with Jupiter Kaijan. That is like diving up the deep end of the pool, yeah, right? Definitely. So, so that was an interesting experience. But yeah, so I always kind of have more fond memories of Jupiter Kaijan just because I like the stars more and and I like how brazenly. How brazenly lush and elegant, and how how unabashedly you know old-fashioned the whole thing is. Uh, whereas this was a nice little contemporary thing, which really had a really jarring, really took me out of the film when they did the whole classical Bollywood musical sequence. So um, it's okay; it's a you know solid sort of three-star movie out of five. But to me, yeah, not of course, it's not among SRK's best efforts. Yeah. And if you are, if this isn't playing near you, um, you don't have the, the good fortune of being near a cinema that's running it, um, you can go online. Um, Netflix doesn't have any of the uh, pairings with uh, Anushka, but they do have some older um, SRK films. But Amazon does have both Rob Nibana Dejodi and Jamtak Hai John available for purchase and for rent. So you can uh, catch either of those there um, if you are interested in, uh, you know, you haven't experienced these films before. Actually, uh, SRK, I think, did sign a deal with Netflix. So actually quite a few of his recent films are on Netflix here in Hong Kong, like uh, Rays and Deer Zindagi, yep. uh, Happy New Year, Diwali. They're all on Netflix. Just it's Unfortunately, just happens not to be the films that are owned by other companies. So Chapter uh, Kaijan, that's, of course, the Chopra. You know, uh, it was the last film Aditya, I think the father, uh, uh, Chopra, I forgot his first name, but it was his final film, and it's like this Bollywood dynasty, so it's, it's their film. But Red Chili film, so including this film, which is produced by Red Chilies, 
which is SRK's company, I think they'll all end up on Netflix sooner or later. And uh, one final note, uh, the screening I was at actually had a full-on intermission, which was refreshing. Um, did, they, did they do this at the screenings there for you in Hong Kong, Kevin? No way. No way. We have the intermission screen, and I like it that way because uh, a lot of Bollywood films, their, their scripts, they're so used to the intermission that they actually – you know, write their they, they they structure their narrative according to the intermission structure, right? So I always I always um, appreciate having that that inner that inner title for intermission. But of course, we never we're not going to stop the film for twenty minutes. I mean, yeah. theaters have to close. They, they always got the. Late they show. didn't. They didn't. What, well, what they did here is they didn't stop the film, but basically they put they they basically ran the second half like another film. So um, it went to intermission. The lights came up. They ran. I want to say four or five trailers and then ran the the you know the theater logo leader again and the little go pop popcorn advertisement again and then they started the second second part so it was you know it was a great time to get up and actually go to the bathroom and and uh, rest your eyes for a bit and then come back in and and sit down and so the film it wasn't like the old days when the film would actually stop playing and they'd load another reel it was all continuously playing they just brought up the house lights and ran these trailers and then kind of led into the second part and it was nice to to for them to do that because when i went and saw um bahubali the conclusion they just basically yeah it just popped up said intermission for a second and then boop and it's back and it kept going yeah i, I would love to actually sit through a bollywood films intermission because you know a lot a lot of the indian cinemas that's how they make their money because intermission is a time for people to go out and buy snacks and to, to fill up on snacks and that's how indian cinemas make a lot of their income so um it'd be interesting to see them do that here in hong kong but honestly i don't mind i just, I just like to sit through the entire film i just like knowing how the film is structured with mm. that intermission screen mm. but otherwise no i just want the film to go run through in one, in one go listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snowser Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to be part of the show, please get in touch with us at our website at kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Kongcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at East S. West S. As always, I do urge you to follow along with Kevin, whether he is subtitling or screenwriting or basically jetting and setting and all the things that he does. So, sir, where can they find out more about you? Uh, you can, once again, it's another week of saying that I will eventually update Asian cinema. I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm just so swamped at work. I can barely keep up. So I really just don't have the time to update stories. But there are quite a few big stories Um out this week i mean including what happened the busan film festival um i would try and you know update them on facebook if i do have time but at the moment um yeah but remember there is that still that site still exists asia and cinema the facebook page is asia and cinema and um twitter also asia and cinema the website is asia and cinema.com 
Um, you can also read my work on Discovery Magazine and also uh, at Silk Road Magazine. They're on Cathay Pacific Airways and Cathay Dragon Airlines. Um, I am the entertainment editor of those magazines, so the entire entertainment section is essentially mine. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Or you can email me to complain about the lack of updates on the site at uh, Kevin at AsiaInCinema.com. Yes, indeed. Email him. Hard and often, please. <laughs> As always, be sure to check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network. And for our next show, episode 237, I think uh, Kevin's going to be telling us about the new Eddie Peng joint, Wukong, where he plays the Monkey King. And uh, for my own part, it's either going to be another Bollywood film. They're um, running uh, Toilet Ek Prem Katha, or Toilet, a love story this week but as i said um i may actually get out to see wolf warrior 2 depending on how my schedule goes over the weekend so it'll be one of those two films on our next show all of that and more until then this is east screen west screen saying dance like srk is watching and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody Talk.